We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You are listening to KC Sports Network, proudly presented by M-Prize Bank, your partner in possible. Who you do business with is more important than where they're located. Bank from the comfort of your own home with M-Prize Bank. Coming up, the latest episode of the KC Laboratory Podcast with Ken Swanson, Craig Stout, and Matt Lane. And now, the latest episode of the KC Laboratory Matthew Lane, happy Monday. Uh, thank you. Uh, I thought I was having a case of the Mondays because I could definitely hear you talking and your picture was just frozen for me for a second and he was here watching videos. So I was confused. Confused for a minute. Um, yeah, we're here. We are fresh off of the Chiefs uh, rookie, rookie minicamp and just like every year, we as Chiefs fans get like one video a day about what's happening while every other <laughs> fan base gets to overhype up 38 videos from every single day. So it's a, it's a fun time. I mean, I love it personally because that one video we get to sit here and watch over and over and over and really truly absorb what Rasheed Rice did on that one singular rep and the angles that Keandre Coburn was taking to the play. No, no, we don't get anything out of camp. That's par for the course from Andy Reid, short of some quotes, which we had plenty today. We did. Uh, there's obviously one that has uh, has been kind of dominating, I think, this this Chiefs news cycle, if you look at it. And it's Andy Reid talking about the tackle position. Uh, you know, it's kind of funny. It's like, you know, we do this show. We have this whole conversation, you know, on Thursday. And all of a sudden, we get confirmation from Andy Reid that to begin OTAs, Donovan Smith will be starting at left tackle. Jawan Taylor will be will be starting at right tackle to begin the OTA process, and whew, that is just. I mean, it's not. It was reported. Like, give let's give props to all the reporters who have who have said that. Um, who who have reported it. It's just it's a stunner that it's happening immediately. And I, I'm not going to say the book's closed, but it's also just a surprise that like. Through all this, through the last two months, this is about two and a half months. This is where we wind up with Donovan Smith at left tackle, Jawan Taylor at right tackle. I have so many questions now about the last two and a half months of process is really where it all comes down to it. 
Yeah. So, I mean, I guess, you know, we can start start with the quote here. Um, so Andy said, yeah, so he's been a left tackle at a high level. We're speaking on Donovan Smith. If you look at last year, he was hurt. And then the year before that, he was one of the top rated left tackles in the league. And we've had a chance to play against him a couple times. So, you know, I know seeing him firsthand that he's a good football player. Yes, he'll be on the left side, probably with the ones. And then Andy was asked, asked a follow-up about Jawan Taylor. And it was specifically mentioned that he would be moving. He would be moving back to the right side. Those were Andy Reid's direct quote. So, caveating this off the very top, I think there's still a chance that this is just Andy Reid offseason speak, and none of that should be taken overly seriously. He does a lot of speaking. You know, not I don't want to say like out of pocket, but he just does a lot of talking and gets you kind of nowhere when he talks in the offseason, and everything is subject to change. That said. Very specifically, in my opinion, switching or answering the Taylor question and very specifically saying, no, he is moving back to the right side. That caught my attention because that seemed like two very detailed answers. Not very, but two detailed answers. They could have been two entirely different questions, both of which could have been answered differently. So yeah, it sounds like the Chiefs have settled on the direction that they might want to go or the way they are leaning on going with their offensive tackle position right now. And Craig and I, we said it last week, we talked about this. If this is the way it plays out, I think we're both pretty shocked that they would just bring in Donovan Smith and just give him the left tackle spot without any competition. Yeah, and I said last week that it was after the compensatory formula and all that. As it turns out, I had forgotten that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers had cut him, so they did not have to wait for the compensatory formula to hit. This definitely feels like a direct impact from the draft. I think they were hoping to land somebody that they felt comfortable with in the draft. Whether that be, I don't even want to just like pin a name and say, oh, it's Anton Harrison. Could have been anybody. It could have been somebody. <laughs> I mean, it could have been. Or it could have been, been no one because they were all always going to be gone before they had a chance Correct. to pick. Correct. But because the market wasn't super hot for a guy like Donovan Smith, they felt like they could wait. This was definitely a plan B or C, D, whatever, whatever it is in the line of plans this offseason, starting back all the way in March with Orlando Brown Jr. So I, I can see that the Chiefs had a fallback. It appears that this is the fallback. I'm just a little surprised that Andy's coming out and saying this, coming out and making this comment right now. Now, to that point, Maddie kind of alluded to this. We have seen Andy Reid do this a lot. He did it in training camp last year. I think you'll remember that. Roderick Johnson, they were ready to go to games. He He's ready to play right now. We could line up tomorrow <laughs> and play with Roderick Johnson at left tackle. That, that dude didn't even make the 53. So, I mean, they they cycle a lot of guys in. They work a lot of guys in different positions. It's just more along the lines of if jo Jawan Taylor is going to play left tackle for this team, I think all of us want him to start getting reps there so he can get comfortable doing that, and maybe that still will happen. We will see. I want to hat tip Ryan S in the discord. You know, we had a lot of conversation about this saying, you know, of course, Andy Reed is going to give himself that out there and say, yeah, yeah. Donovan Smith's going to play left tackle. Yeah. We can move Jawan back over there to the right, because guess what? If they try Jawan Taylor out at left tackle, and they don't like the way that it's working. They have to move him back over to the right. That's not a good foot and a good look for the team to start out with. So why not just set the expectations where it is? And if he goes and he claims that left tackle spot sometime in OTAs or camp or down the line at some point, well, then it's not as big of a deal. It doesn't look so bad. 
as if it happened kind of the other way there. I know I, I hear what you guys are saying with everything, and there are definitely there's like a lot of ball game left and all that stuff. But I think we need to operate and live in the world where where Donovan Smith's the left tackle. I think yeah, I we will live in that reality. Uh, well, <laughs> we can talk about all that. We can talk about that. We can talk about the process for the last two and a half months. But I think we need to live in that reality because the team is has been reported. Andy Reid's flat out said it. We can have our differing opinions, and our differing opinions might be strong enough for us to be like questioning this entire thing as far as like whether or not we think is real or not. But that's that might be a little bit of, I mean that that might be a little too much hubris. That might just be this might be it. This might be the reality that we're living in, guys. So we should probably operate, and have a conversation if it, if it's that's the case. Let's have that conversation. I want to know how much time Juwan Taylor spent working at left tackle, or if this was ever real. Let's start there. Because, I mean, you sign a guy for $20 million and you jerk him around a little bit and have him work at left tackle only to say, nah, we're just going to move you back to right tackle. We're going to sign a guy that got cut by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We're going to pay him $4 million guaranteed up to nine, and then he's just going to be the left tackle, and we're just going to go from there. So, like, I think that's the first question for me, I guess, is, like, how much time was Jawan Taylor really spending working on his footwork at left tackle? Because if if he was spending a lot of time I'm a little disappointed. I don't. I. I. The, the process to me seems like maybe the, you said Craig. Maybe Donovan Smith was a a late addition to this plan because if if if, if Jawan Taylor spent any serious amount of time working at left tackle, that's a wasted offseason. That's a, that's some wasted time and opportunity that he has trying to learn the left side. If there was never any detentions of moving him over there. Even if he did it, it's a terrible process. I mean, like, there's there's no good way that this is a good process the Chiefs went through because Donovan Smith isn't that good at football. He had one good year in 2021, and people are acting like the, the consensus is that's who Donovan Smith is. He's not. Before that, he was a very middling left tackle that got overpaid because he was a middling left tackle, and then he had a good year in 2021 because Tom Brady throws the ball in two and a half seconds. One of the fastest people in the entire league. You're not going to get pressure on Tom Brady because he understands what he's doing. He operates in a very condensed pocket with elite pocket movement and gets the ball out quick. Smith has a great year in 2021. The rest of his career has been average at best left tackle play with a ton of penalties earlier in his career when he had more mobile quarterbacks that played a little bit more freelancing, a lot of pressures, a lot of sacks, and a lot of penalties. He cleaned up some of the pressures and stuff, but that came with more concise quarterback play. And this isn't saying that Mahomes isn't a great quarterback, but he does not play the game very mechanical. He does not always play the ball, gets from snap to throw super quick. So Donovan Smith is going back to blocking for a quarterback who holds the ball a little bit, where he was never actually any good. So this guy's the solution to left tackle. Let's say you go down the route that Juwan Taylor was never supposed to play left tackle. Let's say he was always right tackle and this was all a smokescreen. That's cool. There's no way Donovan Smith could have been your A plan for left tackle. There's no way that sitting at pick 31 or trading up the pick 24 was your answer to find a starting left tackle. That's also a terrible answer for a starting left tackle. And Donovan Smith can't be your backup plan to that, especially if you don't have a backup left tackle on the roster. So if Juwan Taylor was never playing left tackle, what, what were you doing this whole time? What were your other options for left tackle that you could never get going where you settle on Donovan Smith as his completely uncontested starting left tackle with zero competition on the roster behind him if that was if that's in fact the way they went. Like the whole process doesn't make sense. I don't disagree with any of that. It definitely feels like they had plans for another addition. Again, I talked about how them paying 
Jawan Taylor, $20 million, which is right tackle money. I know this. there's a lot of conversation going on right now about left tackle and all of that. Man, Ryan yeah, Ramchick. Don't care about that. Yeah. that Jawan Taylor makes right what the rest of the right, the top right tackles are making. And he's a top right tackle. So let's look at it from that perspective. You want to tell me that this team went in and said, hey, listen, we are going to firm up one side. We are going to get somebody that we can trust on an island because we just got done playing with Andrew Wiley and Orlando Brown Jr. that we had to offer help to both guys. And we had to offer a decent amount of help to both guys, especially against speed rushers. You want to tell me that you can say, okay, we're going to allow Jawan Taylor to play his natural right side. We're going to have him be able to cover that on an island, play by himself. We need a guy, just any guy on either side that we can count on to do that. He is going to not only... You know, not cost us a whole bunch of assets to trade for him like a Laramie Tunsil would. And we can pay him basically right what the rest of the good right tackles are making, which he's a good right tackle. We'll figure out left tackle at some point in the season, whether that be another guy that we can add during the cutdowns, whether that be somebody that we feel comfortable with in the draft, or whether that be Donovan Smith after the draft, because we know what his market's going to be. We know what it is there. And we're going to hope that we can add some left tackle depth and just count on constantly being able to offer him chip help with Jet McKinnon, constantly being able to line up a tight end off, off of his shoulder like a Noah Gray or a Blake Bell and try and allow the Chiefs to say, okay, listen, we know Donovan Smith isn't ideal. That's not the ideal candidate over there, but at least we don't have to worry at all about the right side of this. And we can try and just focus help in one direction while we know the rest of our four can play on an island, can man up, you know, one-on-one -on -one block pretty much anybody in the league, you know, that's not a crazy superstar, and that our offense will be better because of it. I, I, I'm not saying that that's exactly what's going to happen, but I can see the logic and the pathway to get to this scenario right here. I want to expand a little bit more on that right after this. Thanks for listening to KC Sports Network. Make sure you download our new app. Find it on the App Store or Google Play. Just search KC Sports Network. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy, with Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketplace platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. It's okay if you don't know much about marketing. 
Constant Contact's writing assistant tools and automation features help you craft messaging and say the right things at the right time. I use this to help write and send my email newsletters, and you should too. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Entertain. Educate. Inform. KC Sports Network. Hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button. Take a drink if you participate. Uh, all right. So, Craig, you're saying, you know, you're kind of just talking about the logic around maybe what arrived to Donovan Smith and Donovan Smith playing the left tackle position. So I agree with a lot of the thought process that you kind of have there. And I do think I want to add the caveat to all of this. That this tackle market stunk. This was a bad tackle market. This was a bad left tackle market. The Chiefs did not want to pay Orlando Brown what he wanted. And they were right not to. Because guess what? Absolutely nobody had any desire to sniff what Orlando Brown Jr. thought he was worth. And good on him for getting a little bit of money from the Cincinnati Bengals. But the Chiefs played that move right and were disciplined with Orlando Brown Jr., And I think kind of going with what you were saying, Craig, I think they tried to raise the floor of that group by just taking and ensuring a quality, a high-value offensive tackle into that group, right, left tackle. They spent a lot of time saying, well, Juwan Taylor's the left tackle. They want to get left tackle figured out. They want to do that. But they were flirting with tackles in the draft. They were flirting with them. They were flirting with Darnell Wright. They were flirting with Anton Harrison. I believe both of those guys came in for top 30, as did Broderick Jones. I mean, they were in plain daylight looking at the tackle position, even though they had Jawan Taylor. So there had to be at least some flexibility to this plan in their mind, regardless. It wasn't, it's Jawan Taylor or, or bust. It's Jawan Taylor we think can play left tackle. And, you know, if we can, if we can get one of these offensive linemen, one of these left tackles, that's great. We'll roll with that. Then we'll have, you know, we'll have our, our bookends figured out. Um, so I, I in a terrible in a terrible class, in a terrible free agency class, I mean, I don't I'm not upset that the Chiefs went and grabbed the best tackle they thought they they, they felt they could get with Jawan Taylor, who fits that. Like that makes a ton of sense. It's just the left tackle part. The dominoes that fall from saying, all right, we kind of think we think Donovan Smith's the left tackle for this football team. The dominoes that fall from that and the questions that 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 stem from that are what are really interesting to me personally. So, yeah, I, I like what they did. I like that they raised the floor. But let's look at the rest of the moves. Wanye uh, Morris. Right tackle. Lucas Niang's the starter. He can start, guys. He's good. He can start. They draft a right tackle. Uh, so now the Chiefs are three deep at right tackle. They're not, they're one deep at left tackle. Their left tackle is not particularly great. He hasn't been particularly great in recent memory that nobody wanted to sign him for more than $4 million guaranteed. So that tells you what the NFL thinks of him, whether or not you want to like argue that he's like some elite left tackle. No one, no one uses, he was available in May. Um, it, it just, it, it, that is just so confounding to me. And that's why like, on its face, like you say it out loud, it doesn't entirely make sense to me why you have three deep at right tackle and a one-year contract. You don't have the left tackle position solidified at all if this is the plan. I mean, yeah, and that's that again, that goes back to the questioning of the process is if 
if so like you said if you were for working around this idea of Juwan Taylor can play left tackle but we would prefer him at right tackle or he could just play either one whatever we find to fill out Donovan Smith was always available right like he was always there so if Donovan Smith is good enough to make Juwan Taylor automatically move to the right side then you never had any interest of playing him on the left side like and that's fine it's just I don't think that your end result you can't get there the way that she's got there is, is the problem you can't get to the point of moving choosing Jawan Taylor's position based on signing a guy in May for four million dollars that 31 other teams weren't that interested in it's coming to the conclusion because of that signing that really puts it in a weird spot and then now for the Chiefs they don't have a great backup plan if Donovan Smith one is as bad as he was last year or let's say he's injured. He's gotten a little bit older. He got injured twice last year, one of which caused him to move games. If that happens again, who plays left tackle? You can't. You're gonna take. Are you gonna take Juwan Taylor and say, "Hey, we just had you come into camp. We said you're not good enough to play left tackle over this guy who wasn't very good, but now we need you to come and play left the left side without spending any time there at camp." Is it Wanya Morris, who they drafted, who is clearly better at right tackle, who has played some left tackle in college? But when he went to Oklahoma, they immediately put him on the right side. They didn't even let him compete for that left side. They immediately put him on the right side. He played a lot better on the right side. And so now he goes to the Chiefs in the third round. Are they going to try to transition him back to the left side? And is he your backup left tackle? It's just they didn't insulate themselves very well at the left tackle position if Donovan Smith is your guy. If Donovan Smith was always an option, maybe you should have signed another veteran guy or just found a way to spend capital earlier on to get a more competent backup for that position just in case the Donovan Smith signing doesn't work out because he's not. it's not like he's a high-floor player. If he plays the way he did last year, that's a low floor. So what is your contingency plan if Donovan Smith isn't good and you don't give Jawan Taylor reps at left tackle? Where do and you that, yeah, yeah, go ahead, man. It, you, you can finish your point if you want to, bud. Nope, that was it. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're good. And that, And that's kind of where we sit right now because I and I know Maddie agrees with me and I'm pretty sure Kent agrees with me here we can look at the best five and Andy has played the best five and the best five with the current iteration of these players as it stands right now Donovan Smith is in that best five at left tackle like that's probably your best five I don't think that there's much argument there problem is that's on a one-year deal you you are just getting through this year with Donovan Smith if that's the case the other part that I know that, you know, these guys agree with me on, just leaving Jawan Taylor over there at left tackle. Say say that he is the full-time left tackle and the additions that they made. They had Lucas Niang as a projected starter at right tackle and Wanye Morris was going to be his backup. They still didn't have a backup left tackle. And you were moving a guy from right tackle to left tackle. That's still not a good situation to be in. So it's not just like, hey... Donovan Smith is here and everything's bet. No, they needed to add a guy, which is why we were so excited about the Donovan Smith move from the perspective of potential depth, which it could still be. Nobody is saying that this is locked in, but treating this as if Donovan Smith is that, that is your best five. I truly and honestly believe that. Yes, Wanya Morris during rookie minicamp, according to our guy, Charles Goldman, he tweeted it out, said that Wanya Morris got some snaps at left tackle this week. Now, that doesn't mean that, hey, he was getting all the snaps at left tackle. That doesn't mean that he wasn't switching sides. You know, rookie minicamp without pads on, they move a bunch of guys around. They do a lot of stuff there. But clearly looking at him, at least in some capacity, for some... It's the project, that that's the goal there, that they're just going to try and line up 
and then, you know, have Donovan Smith play as much as he can with Wanya Morris as his backup. And if he gets thrust into it, hey, we are already offering help to that guy anyway. So be it. I mean, that that that's something that the Chiefs are obviously going to feel comfortable with and obviously going to feel better about than, than we will. But, I mean, that's why they make Super Bowls and do the things that they do. I don't think that they're going to leave this up to chance. And so I do think that if they get into camp, Donovan Smith doesn't look good, I expect a move, whether that be Taylor over to the left side, whether that be Wanye Morris getting more reps, whatever the case may be, there will be something that will be done. Because if there's one thing that we have seen since it all fell apart right at the very end of the 2019-2020 season, they are not letting this go down again. As a matter of fact, last year with an offensive line that by all accounts was was fine to above average, they looked at the tackle position and said, nope, we're out doing that anymore. We are not playing that game anymore. So I don't believe that it's just going to be, hey, they're casting it aside. They're not going to do anything. There's another move that's there. I think there's something else behind this that could still occur there. They're not leaving it up to chance. I think that's an entirely fair statement. And I think that's where, like, logically, it just it doesn't align with what this team has historically done. Yeah, they've they've done such a good job of insulating themselves along the offensive line. Like I think that's what that's what's been so uh, confusing observing from the outside, where it's like okay, and not to, not diminishing reports either. Like okay, what is what's real, what's not? Because you got to question everything going back to mid March about Jawan Taylor. How much like again? How much time? Like the big question here is how much time did Jawan Taylor really spend working at left tackle? You know that if you know the answer to that question, you know exactly where the Chiefs' approach were. I do know. I do think at least one rep, and it looked it looked like it, it looked better than some other guys that have tried in a Chiefs jersey uh, to to switch sides. Um, I think the Chiefs were totally taking Anton Harrison at thirty-one if he fell. I just i i think i think I think that tells you something. I think they would have taken Anton Harrison at thirty-one. With, with with what we know now, um, but again, I think that shows like there. I think there's always been some flexibility to this process. I think, and I do think, you know, if the Chiefs don't get this resolved to this year, I wouldn't be stunned to see them make a big investment in the left tackle position next year. You know what I'm saying? They have to. I think they might have to. I think they might have to. It's probably if if this is the direction they're going, they've got to go either either Juwan, uh either. Wanye Morris has got to go play the left side and spend the entire offseason, entire season playing the left side to get ready. And they're going to try him out there and see if they can make it work out there. Or they're going to have to go make a big investment, I think, next season to to fix the problem. Because I don't think Donovan Smith's going to be your long-term solution. Now, that being said, I really hope Donovan Smith's the long-term solution. Like, I hope he's awesome. I hope he's great this year. I hope he has oh, yeah. a year. I like, like, I think that's the thing. It's like, I actually tweeted this out a little, little bit today. That perfect. Like, we could all disagree on this process. We don't like the process. I think it's pretty fair. We all hope, we all hope Donovan Smith has an all pro career or season and fine, a, a career the rest of his time here in Kansas City. Like, genuinely, we all want to, we all want to be wrong about this and like not having to worry about this on his face. It just doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense. Hopefully, hopefully Donovan Smith has a great season if he is going to eventually be the left tackle uh, for this football team. And we'll we'll find out. I mean, it sounds like that that's the direction that we are trending at this time. It's definitely confusing on the outside, given 
conflicting statements about how this offseason was going to go, but now there's a new guy into the mix. We're going to take a break, and we'll be back right after this. You're listening to KC Sports Network. We'll be right back after this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Entertain. Educate. Inform. KC Sports Network. Hit the like button. Hit the subscribe button. Take a sip. Thanks, everybody, that's been hanging out with us. We talked a little bit about Donovan Smith. Let's talk a little bit about this draft class. Uh, you know, we've all started writing some articles, uh, obviously, about the about some of these prospects, some of these players as they're coming. Uh, and so let's just let's start with uh, Felix and UDK, who's off the top. Um, Craig, I believe you wrote that article, correct? Yes, sir, I did. Thanks uh, for reading, buddy. <laughs> yeah. I just wanted, like, you know, at second watch, like, how, like, what has changed for you about him and what what, what excites you about him now? Um, I, from a second watch perspective, let's call it a third watch perspective here. Just, you know, super, yeah. super deep dive in here for this article. Um. Not a ton has changed. Uh, if anything, I may have moved the ceiling a little bit higher. Uh, I really, truly do believe that he has, you know, ridiculous burst, ridiculous bend. That the, his ankle flexibility is special. Like the way that he can corner at seven or eight yards and meet the quarterback at the top of his drop, combined with the burst, you put those two things together, and it is truly special. When he gets his hands involved and he's able to align from the outside, I know there's a lot of caveats there. I'll get to why on all of those. But when he's aligned <laughs> to the outside and he gets to use his hands and all that comes together, it's some of the cleanest reps that you're going to see. Crisp, you know, absolutely top-notch stuff from a defensive end in this class. So I probably raised his ceiling up a little bit higher. Problem is... That K-State alignment where he's aligned as like a four-eye or you know, head up with the tackle, and they're asking him to navigate around the outside of the tackle and trying to come back around, doesn't do him any favors. Just doesn't, absolutely doesn't do him any favors. It doesn't do, any, do him any favors in the run game either, when the tackle can just basically stand up, reach across, and lock him up immediately without him being able to put some of that burst and explosion into some of these rushes when he's trying to control or hold two gaps there. So... Aligning him to the outside, getting him to be able to do some of that stuff is going to help some of that. And then getting him to work with Joe Cullen, getting him to learn how to use the hands a little bit, lock out, use his arms, put together some of the rush moves that are there. You see him on tape. It's just sporadic. I don't know that there's a full plan to it. If anything, he is a ball of clay, and it is ridiculous the amount of production that he did have knowing that he still has these things to clean up. Typically, when I watch a guy in a draft class, I don't like to like focus super hard on you know negatives, and things that need to be cleaned up, especially first-round picks and stuff like that, because it, he is. He's a ball of clay. But I did for this one on purpose, because those are the things that are easy to clean up. The alignment thing. He just, hey, you're in Steve Spagnuolo's scheme. Guess what? The alignment's cleaned up. You get to work with Joe Cullen. 
you're probably going to get better with your hands. Those things are going, he's going to be able to hit his ceiling far better than I think that, you know, it, it, maybe I thought even beforehand after watching some of that stuff because of that burst, bend, explosion. I'm now ranting about this man, but I, I truly believe <laughs> that he has the chance to have multiple double-digit sack seasons mm -hmm. during his rookie contract. Well, it just may not be year one because he may have to take a little time to work some of that out. Okay, so if I'd ask a question here that if this is a guy that can have multiple double-digit sack seasons as a rookie, which is very rare, how come he was available at pick 31? Because there's so much to work out. There, there really is so much to work out. And the frame may be maxed out. I don't know. Like, I mean, he's talked about this profusely, you know, watched you know, during the pandemic, Kayvon Thibodeau, Chase Young, tried to sculpt his body kind of in the way that they are. So there is a little bit of hip tightness. I think the Chiefs are going to try and work his body a little bit more, you know, trying to loosen up the hips. The ankle flexion is still good. That's all good. And there is plenty that you're going to have to teach him from the technique standpoint. Now, Chiefs have one of the best defensive line coaches in the league. And so I think that if you're looking at this and you're looking at a guy, you know, teams sitting in the teens, early 20s, that are looking at a guy like this and saying, okay, I got to choose between – you know, Miles Murphy that has the Brett Venables coaching already in him. So I've got the floor, you know, kind of where it is here, playing against the kind of competition that he was or Nolan Smith or, you know, whoever trying to make that choice versus a guy like FAU who you can just say, hey, listen, we're banking on our coaching staff. Like we, we know where the things that he's going to learn. He's a good hard worker. We believe that he can learn all this stuff and we're just going to hand him over to one of the best defensive line coaches in the league. Maybe some other teams don't have the same faith in their coaching staff to maximize a player like that. So if let's let's say that Felix doesn't pan out and get close to a ceiling, what would be the reason why? Like, why does he not pan out and get to a ceiling and becomes, you know, 50% of what you think his ceiling might be? Oh, it's, it's purely technique-based because I think that he's still got the potential. I mean, we saw it in college. We saw him wreck plays just simply kind of by putting his head down and running through guys, splitting a gap, you know, just just kind of make creating havoc with his athletic traits. So, you know, short of an injury or something like that, it's that he doesn't pick up the technique, that he doesn't learn some of the things that Joe Cullen or whoever's the veteran that's going to come in eventually and on this defensive line is going to teach him. I, I think in that instance, uh, that would be the 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 impetus to kind of stop him there from learning and growing. In that it's and I I mean by all accounts, sharp guy picks things up really well. High football character. So I don't know that that's a likely scenario, but I think that that would no. be the scenario that may prevent him from seeing the seal. I I, I got a question now. Let me it's jump in hard. here. Who? Who has the higher floor, Felix Anudike Uzama or George Karloftis? George Karloftis. I think George Karloftis has the higher floor. Um, I, I I just think that he he got to see. I don't you know Purdue is is what it is there. I, I the way that he played. I you know he wasn't like an elite run defender or anything like that. But the way he saw the game, the way he was able to use his his hands, the way that he was able to kind of put together. Some of that stuff, it was later in the rep, but it was relentless and there was strength and there was power behind a lot of the stuff that he did. And so that kind of naturally gave him a higher floor. We see those as kind of higher floor prospects at the NFL level. Whereas a guy like FAU, if he can't translate some of those hands and some of that stuff like that, 
he could get washed a little bit in the run game. Then maybe you're not seeing him on early downs, and he's more of a designated pass rusher. And then again, you're going up a good, against a good tackle. If he can't use your hands particularly well, then maybe he gets washed out against a good tackle. So I think George Karloff has had kind of a trump card with his power that he was just going to kind of slowly overwhelm you throughout the game. We saw that somewhat last year until, you know, he started putting stuff together towards the end of the year. But I, I would give George a nod for the floor there. I tend to agree. I think for all the reasons that you just outlined, but, and like credit George too, because I think he's beyond the floor. So already, like, I think Ooh, he's exceeded sure. that floor already in a short amount of time, which is again, like, I think that point into, I just put into Joe, Joe Colin. Mm-hmm. Like, we saw all these guys. We saw all these guys have career years here in KC. We also saw George Karloff just kind of exceed the lower end of the expectations for him in his rookie year already. And I think that says a lot. And like, I think that's another vote of confidence of why you go grab a guy like Felix Felix Enrique Uzamo probably has a little bit. I agree, lower floor than uh, George Karloff is, but I think he has, he has a higher ceiling too. No doubt about that. There's no doubt about it that FAU has a higher has a higher ceiling uh, than George. Okay, on the spot then predict his sacks and tackles for loss for the end of his rookie year for the end of this rookie year or his rookie contract no 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 this year the end of this season this year? What is, what's his I know that line at the end of this year on track Craig <laughs> you've definitely uh, yeah I've done, I've done a fair amount of work on uh, a rookie edge contract stuff so I, I was gonna have a take there um I you know what ah, man that's gonna be tough because <laughs> If they add another vet, I think he will be kind of relegated to that second string, like running with Mike Dana, running as a designated pass rusher, and I think he'll come on strong towards the end of the year. I'll say four and a half sacks year one, and let's call it uh, another three and a half sack or tackles for loss, and, and that's a good year. I mean, I know people are going to listen to that and be like, oh, well, uh, no, that, that's a really good year, especially yeah. when he steps up from that in year two. I, I want to I'm, I'm oh, go, go, Maddie. I'm I was just saying, no, it's definitely pretty good when you're going into a, uh, just like going into the, the depth the Chiefs have a defense spin. I don't think it's like a great room, but there's a lot of guys that are going to be earning snaps there, right? You know, Christian is going to play outside a little bit. Charles O'Minahue is going to play plenty outside. George Karloff, this year we talked about. Mike Dana, they have bodies that are going to play. Maybe they're not this all-pro level of cast across the board, but they have a lot of bodies that'll play. So getting a guy who probably is more of a designated pass rusher type this year to four and a half sacks would be big. And like, if you add that on to the potential of two double-digit sack games, like if you later on, his rookie, his end of his rookie contract production would be up there with like some of the best guys in the league. If you get the 20 sacks in your rookie contract, and especially if you have a double-digit sack along the way, one double-digit sack along the way, you're a really good football player. There's only been like two guys that have gotten to 20 in their rookie contract that have been not good since 2010. So doing that and them getting to 20 sacks over his rookie contract would be would essentially say you're a good football player. Yep. And I, I believe that. Like I was going to say that I, I, I'm i going to predict 25 sacks in his rookie D. And that's that's really good, guys. That, that's really that's, good. Yes, it is. Well, I especially down there at the bottom around one, two. Like, like, I think that's like, that's, that's value. Um, I, I looked at, I, I, I go back to Odafe Owa, who we were all clambering for. We all wanted two years ago, you know, shadow drafting and looking at all that stuff. I mean, it was like Odafe and watching him his rookie year. We all got excited about him. 
He had five sacks. He had five sacks his rookie year. Like, really good. like, like the Chiefs went ahead and messed around, and um, you know they 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 got uh they got tremendous value the next year, uh in the same kind of range as Odafeo with with George Karlaftis. Maddie, you wrote about Rashi Rice. I want to talk a little bit about him tonight. Uh, as you've rewatched and watched him, I guess what are the things that have changed for you? What are the things that have solidified? What do you feel about him now? Yeah, similar similar to Craig. Um, you know, we watched him before the draft, and then you watch him the night of the draft, and you come back and watch him again with like a fresh mindset a little bit after, and try to see where your opinion has changed and where it hasn't. And I. I don't know. To be straight honest, I don't think my opinion of what he is as a player has changed. I just think that it, the farther away you get from the draft, the farther away you get from being scared about the type of prospect that he is as a wide receiver, that you start to see the path to win. So, I mean, to be very candid, people that watch the live draft show know that I wasn't a fan of the pick. And I don't think any of us love the pick, but like the concept was guys that don't separate in college don't usually pan out in the NFL. And that's not changing. That's still very much the concern. And everything with Rice in terms of not panning out in the NFL is going to stem entirely around the fact that he struggles to create separation. He's not overly creative with his route running. His hips are a little stiff. He doesn't always explode in or out of breaks. Like there's issues that mean that he can't separate. But sometimes it just doesn't matter. Sometimes his technique at the catch point is amazing. And like that's not always just high pointing the ball. Sometimes it's just stepping on a DB's toes so that when he can, when he turns, they're off balance. Sometimes it's forcing a DB to hold them because he's already pushing them backwards or sideways and they have to hold or they're going to fall down and it's not likely to be called. Sometimes it's working back to the football, boxing them out. Like he has a lot of different ways he wins at the catch point. He routinely then attacks the ball away from his frame. So you see this, you see a very clear path to him being a contested catch ball winner like T. Higgins, not the same type of player, but like a T. Higgins is, like a Michael Crabtree was, like a T.J. Hushmanzada was. Like There's a numerous guys that win without creating separation in the NFL, but that's how it won't work, and that's still very evident in his game. I know he played this last year with a broken toe or turf toe. It depends on where the you know you hear about the injury. I went back the year before. I honestly think his route running was worse when healthy in 2021 than it was on a busted toe in 2022. He clearly got better as a route runner. He clearly got more detailed and more nuanced. And a lot of that stemmed from his releases off the line of scrimmage. That's where he was at his best. When he came off the line of scrimmage with a plan, when he came off the line of scrimmage, attacking a defensive back, putting them on their heels and making them react to him, it didn't matter if he was a little sluggish in and out of his breaks. It didn't matter if he wasn't the most fluent with his feet or if he didn't have a ton of you know, uh, sauce at the top of his stem. He still was able to get enough space for the football to come in and then make the catch. When he struggled was when his release wasn't as good, and sometimes that was the toe injury, and he just couldn't explode. Other times, he did get caught up on press coverage. Other times, he didn't have a very good release package, and he would get locked up, and when he didn't win off the line of scrimmage, he almost never caught separation of working down the field. So it's just a matter of how how well can he translate that part of his game. At the catch point, he's going to be great. I think he showed promise on his releases, I just wonder how he's going to work throughout his route stem. And so there's a clear path. And just which way is he going to go? Is he going to be the guy that breaks the mold? Because if he does, I think there's a pretty high ceiling. Or is he going to be one of those guys that kind of washes out because he can't get away from guys at the top of his route? Well, and, and Maddie, I want to ask you this because, like, I think when we're framing all these things is like, you know, and a couple of things. Like, we always, we spend a lot of time looking about 
how what's going to keep it's like almost risk assessment what's going to keep this guy from being able to achieve in the national football league but i guess like what is the like what's the range here like when we sit in here we're talking about if he's still not able to separate consistently there's still a somewhat of a role for him in an nfl offense there's still a role for him in kansas city what does the low end look like if he's not able to create as much consistent separation? A smaller version of Hakeem Butler. I mean, like, people people want to say because he's a chief and because Patrick Mahomes vouched for him or because the Chiefs liked him that he can't fail, but, I mean, we've seen guys that can't create separation in the NFL fail all the time. If he gets to the NFL and he can't cut it in terms of creating separation and then the physicality or the athleticism step up from SMU to the NFL is overwhelming, he can Hakeem Butler it where he ends up having to go to a lower level of competition and maybe he can still dominate there like Butler and did to the XFL, right? Like when you're a better athlete than everybody else, you can dominate despite not creating separation all the time or being the most nuanced player. But in the NFL, when everyone's the same level of athlete, that doesn't always work if you don't figure it out now. So that's the low end, the high end. I mean, I said some of these Michael Crabtree, I think um, TJ Hushman's out Roddy, Wright. Those are three guys that won without necessarily creating a ton of separation, but did it in different ways. Michael Crabtree just beat cornerbacks up. Roddy White was a great route runner. TJ Hushmanzada just attacked leverage nonstop and produced. Now, this is with Carson Palmer, a very good quarterback, but would produce small windows that he could then go attack the ball and shield you know, CBs away from it. These are all things that I think Rice can do. He just has to go from you know showing promise at all these things to being elite. If you don't get to elite at those things with his style of play, then it gets difficult. That's where it gets hard. You have to become elite at something to win when you can't create separation, and I think that's just going to be the struggle. All right, Maddie, you're talking about man coverage. That's the focus there, obviously. Um, yes. His zone beating yeah. is some of the best in this class. Pretty good. Talk about what you see there a little bit. He's he has a good understanding of zone coverage. Um, he very much can sees and feels where openings are in zone, and he does a good job settling into them. He will adjust his route on the fly to slide into them. Um, I I think there's another level, and this is only fair going from SMU to the NFL. Right, there's another level of making his breaks into the open spot of zone versus making a break and then going to find it. It's like the not that there isn't room for improvement, but he's active about finding that space, and then once he's in zone. When he gets the ball, he, he's gone, right? If he can get the ball on the move, he becomes a runner so fast. And when he's in spaces, when their teams are playing zone coverage, it's really hard when you have a guy of his size that catches the ball, immediately transitions to a runner, and is working in open space. He's hard to get angles on. He's hard to tackle because he's so explosive. He's not fast. He, he seems to struggle to open up his hips to run. But that first 10 yards... He's so explosive and covers so much ground. He routinely breaks angles on zone coverage players trying to close in on the area of the catch. It's like He's a dangerous zone weapon, and that is something that probably does translate to the NFL, and maybe that does secure him some level of a spot on a team because he can be this yards-after-the-catch, zone-beating type wide receiver. It's just, you. I don't know if you can rely on that. A lot of guys can do that. Not as good as him, but a lot of guys can be that player in the NFL so if you can't beat man coverage at all, it's going to be hard to get there. I'm not saying he can or can't. It's just I think he can be very good for zone as long as he can develop his man coverage beating skills. Like, he has a very clear floor of a role. See, I, I'm kind of – did you have something you want to say, Craig? I'm sorry. I was. No, I'm, I have a final question for Maddie, but jump in. Yeah. Well, 
And that the, this is the piece of the Rashi Rice conversation that I think is very much worth having because I, you know, we, we focus on what they what might keep them from finding success. It's the job of the NFL teams to find success in the things that they're good at, and this team's gonna see plenty of zone. And so Rashi Rice in those downs is gonna have some success playing against zone. Now you could make the argument that they might see a little bit more man coverage to try to test this unproven wide receiver group. I think that when you look at it like that, that's where I think it probably starts raising the red flag for us. It's, hey, look, they start trying to challenge this receiver core with more man coverage. Who's getting open? Who's healthy enough to get open? These are the questions you start having about that receiver group. But if they're able, if you're seeing a lot of zone still, that's where like I think the floor for Rashi Rice might be a little bit higher. Because of what all the stuff that you just kind of outlined about his ability versus zone, we spent so much time talking about the inability to separate against man, but that is only half of it. That's only half of the of the coverage they're gonna see, maybe less, you know. So that's that's just that's just something contextually that I'm glad you brought up about the Rashi Rice conversation because there it's not like he's just completely wiped off the face of the field if he can't separate against man coverage. No, he's de- you're definitely not taking off. Like, it's definitely worth keeping in mind. It's just how many players survive in the NFL when they can only beat zone and not beat man. Plenty of man-beating only wide receivers and tight ends exist. You don't have that many players that only specialize in beating zone because a l- you can teach a lot of guys how to do that. You can't always teach guys to beat man coverage. So if you want to survive in the NFL, you've got to be able to beat man coverage. And I think you nailed it. The Chiefs are going to see more man coverage especially on third downs this year, because I mean, who are you afraid of after Travis Kelsey on this wide receiver group? Rice is in a good spot because he presents a unique player that even if he's not open, he can still be open. Like he is that type of player. Even if he can't create separation, he can be open. And we saw the Chiefs flirt with throwing a couple back shoulder plays to Juju Smith-Schuster or to MVS. We saw them flirt with throwing a couple contested balls to guys over the middle of the field. And I think those are areas, whether he's you know creating separation from a corner or not, that Rice can have success. It's just you got to see there, there's got to be consistency with his ability to attack the ball. There's got to be consistency coming out of his breaks on time and cleanly because sometimes he's a little slow. And if we're talking about these situations, whether you're open or not, if you're on time, a quarterback can work with that. So, you know, there's just little things that you have to work on to make sure that he can be on the field. Because I have no qualms. If he's good enough to be on the field and in the rotation, he will be fine for zone, or if not good, and good after the catch. It's just to get to that point, you have to be able to play against man coverage some, and he might even be the one wide receiver the Chiefs have that does present a little bit of a mismatch versus man coverage if he Mm -hmm. can get there. All right. Final question about Rasheed Rice, Matty. Let's take the separation element away from this. Can you name a receiver that you love more than this man? Because, oh. <laughs> <laughs> like, everything else I don't, is funny perfect Maddie prospect. Yeah, I, mean, I, don't know, I, I don't know exactly how to, uh, yeah, to, to lay this out. Um, if I could create, like, a perfect wide receiver to go into the NFL, the person would look entirely like Rashi Rice until you got to the point of the separation issue. And and the qualm with that is four years ago, that wouldn't bother me near as much. Just been burned too many times trying to watch college players go to the NFL, don't create separation. Just too many guys have 
that I have very much enjoyed and put high draft grades on have failed out because they can't create separation. So now with Rice, he's big, but he's not huge. You know, six foot one, 205 pounds. That's a big receiver, but that's not a huge receiver. So if he's having to win in contested catch situations at that size, just seen so many guys flunk out from not being able to do it. I do think there's still plenty of hope for Rice, as I outlined, you know, on the, on the Substack or last week, and as we talked about here. But it, it scares me, and that part scares me. Besides that, his blocking, his shit talking, the way that he gets in BB's face, the fact that this man squats 500 pounds and full cleans 330 pounds as a college athlete, dropping all the way down, you know all the way ass to ankles, all the way to the ground. Like this man is everything I would want out of a wide receiver. It's just alarms me that so many wide receivers, like in the past that haven't been able to separate, I have enjoyed and they have let me down and I have fear that this could go the same way. Buddy, I'm I'm just telling you right now, if Rasheed Rice hits the upper end of this, <laughs> Matthew Lane, the, the, he, might be his very favorite player. It might be his favorite player ever. If he's even a mediocre starter, yes, 100%. If he caps out as a wide receiver three, that's just, if he caps out as Demarcus Robinson, that's not even a wide receiver three. If he can get to Demarcus Robinson level type ta- level player, right? Not They're not the same type of player, but if he gets to a Demarcus Robinson level player, he will be one of my favorite players on the Chiefs while he's there <laughs> because I love everything else about his game. I am just concerned how much how safe it is to bet on him to be better than that because of the the separation issues. And like, that's where the fear is. And now the more I've, you know, learned, you know, learned about him as a person, listened to what he said and watched his game and the nuance of the trash talk and how physically <laughs> and knocking guys on their back and two small and cornerbacks. I like him even more. And now I'm <laughs> more afraid that when my heart gets broken, because a guy maybe can't get open where it'll leave. Matt is just afraid to love again. That's what yes, I heard. Locking up his cold heart right now. I tried <laughs> to power away. But well, it wasn't even as fun off the field. He no. was just really he was no. good on the field. I'll tell you what he got to the NFL. Guys, it's it's been very fun getting granular on rice. That's going to do it for the Casey Laboratory. Thank you all so much. We'll catch you later. Oh, it was a great show up until that. Thanks for listening to KC Sports Network. Don't forget to hit that follow button and leave us a review if you like what you heard and think others would as well. You can find all six of our channels at KCSN. Covering the Chiefs, the Royals, Sporting KC, and the KC Current. Plus KU, K-State, or Mizzou. By searching KCSN wherever you listen to podcasts. We're also on YouTube. Entertain. Educate. Inform. KC Sports Network. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. 
Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com 